Throughout the months I've been telling this story on Faith Hedgepeth's life and incomprehensible death, her murder, I'd never been able to find or see any video of her. I never got to see that real Faith smile so many people have told me about, to sense her energy and spirit, to have just a peek into who she was. Then, as I was writing the final episodes of the initial 10-episode arc of Pursuit, I got a video. And starting. And I saw her at the very beginning, front and center. Faith. Wait, hold up. Gabrielle. Tyler. Courtney. Say hello to the camera, boo-boo. The person behind the camera says Faith's name, and Faith says, hold up. Only the second time I've heard her voice. You hear her close friend Gabrielle's name there too, and a few others. The video was recorded in the summer of 2008 on the UNC Chapel Hill campus. A small group of high schoolers at a table playing the card game Spoons. Faith's got her thick dark hair pulled back, some dangling earrings, and she's wearing a sleeveless yellow blouse. She's alive and animated. She snaps the cards into her hand and onto the table with gusto. She did everything with gusto. At one point, Faith points at the camera and sticks her tongue out. Part of a group playing a game during a visit to the college they hope to attend in a few years. They're excited, silly, nervous, and happy. And in the end, the game of spoons was down to Faith and a guy named Tyler, and Faith won. The camera moves from Tyler to Faith, but she holds up a plastic black spoon, kisses it in victory, beaming. Another day, another slice of joy from Faith Hedgepeth. This is Pursuit, the podcast, Season 1, Episode 10, on the unsolved murder of 19-year-old Faith Hedgepeth in early September 2012. I'm Tom Gasparoli. It was about two years before that summer trip to UNC and that game of spoons that Faith Hedgepeth developed a solid and pretty special bond with one of her high school teachers. His name is Hassan Kingsbury. He taught Faith in his civics and economics class. And Faith, I remember, was one of the smartest young ladies. Um, she was not only smart, but she was very mannerable. She was always pleasant. She was always so nice. And everybody liked her, not because she went out her way to be popular. She was just a sweet girl. One of the things the two bonded over was Faith's interest in UNC Chapel Hill, where Kingsbury had gone to school. I know she always wanted to go to college. So um, even after she got out of my class, we talked about UNC, and she applied for different scholarships and opportunities. And I remember um, her just always asking about UNC. And Faith made an impact on Kingsbury in another way the way she just always thought about others, bringing flowers to people when they were upset, writing notes, things kids her age just really didn't do. Faith did. That was her. That was her. You couldn't forget Faith. You just couldn't forget her. She was that remarkable. 
And then, after Faith had gone off to UNC, it happened. The terrible attack that took her life. To this day, the person or persons who did it have paid no price. Hassan Kingsbury remembers the moment he learned. He decided to visit his mother after work that Friday evening. So I stopped, went in, and my mom was watching the news. And I was watching the news, and they were saying that a young lady, someone had been killed. And um, then I heard they were from Warren County. And I turned to my mom. My mom was like, what's wrong? I was like, that's my, my student. She saw that I was, you know, a little shaken, and she was just, you know, trying to comfort me the best that she could. It was surreal. It was crazy. And um, then to hear the details, I was like, no, not face. You know, not face. My immediate thoughts were someone must have been jealous of her or made a mistake because that's not face. Face was not one that was disliked. It was really unbelievable, truthfully, that she was killed. Not only did Kingsbury grieve over the news about Faith, he was haunted immediately about what her parents especially were going through. He knew about loss. I had a child who passed away. Kingsbury and his wife lost their then five-year-old daughter, Amira, to an illness that was never diagnosed during her lifetime. She just kept getting sicker and sicker. Doctors didn't know why. Eventually, Amira began missing milestone after milestone. She was in a wheelchair. She couldn't talk, walk, or feed herself. She survived with equipment. The family hardly ever went out in those days, but that October of 2010, the couple decided to take Amira to the North Carolina State Fair, no matter how hard it was to get her there. They made it, and then got back home kind of late that evening for the family. This night, we slept soundly. Nobody woke up. And at about 6 o'clock in the morning, we heard the feeding machine go off. And uh, I got up and I looked. And I woke my wife up and I said, baby, she's gone. And uh, I knew she was gone. Yes, Hassan Kingsbury and his wife know about loss. I learned so much about life. Um, and which is applicable even um, for faith. While you have life, you have to make the biggest impact that you can. You know what I'm saying? And that's what faith did. We hate that it happened. I do. And I know God is going to bring justice. You know, sometimes it just takes a while. It's been seven years now for Faith Hedgepath with no justice. Chris Morgan, the retired Raleigh, North Carolina homicide detective you've heard from before, has some ideas about how to get answers. But before we get to that, I asked Morgan to look at Faith's autopsy report. He's seen hundreds of them. I don't want to be overly graphic here, but he saw something that could be important. It's something Chapel Hill Police probably saw, too, a long time ago. What is it? Morgan thinks Faith's primary attacker may very well be left-handed. It's either straight on or on the right side of the head. Most of the defensive wounds are on the right side of the body. Yeah, in her right hand. Yeah, and well, her hand and her arm. That usually is indicative of somebody being attacked by someone who is left-handed. 
because their strong arm is what they would use to attack you with. And if you're face to face... Chris Morgan says he can't be 100% sure. Faith could have been face down in a different position when she was attacked. She was found lying on her back, face up. She has an odd-shaped wound on the center of her forehead. I bet that the first blow that was struck was actually that one the you know, the in-between the eyes on the forehead. Morgan also wonders whether there was a second weapon involved. I really don't see how you get that from an empty liquor bottle. If it were to strike the forehead just right at the, you know, the appropriate angle, I suppose it could inflict a laceration. But I, I just, I don't, it, it just seems kind of iffy to me. Now to what Morgan would recommend for a police department in the position Chapel Hill police are in. He says, get the word out that things have changed. And Morgan says if he were the person asked to start things over again, he'd start with Faith's roommate, Karina Rosario, who called 911 that morning about 11 o'clock to say she'd discovered Faith's body. Zara, 911, where is your emergency? Hi, um, I just like to see my friend. just like to be unconscious. The woman who'd left the apartment door unlocked with Faith inside the night before at 4.30 in the morning. Morgan feels, and I can't disagree, and Chapel Hill Police have, in my view, somewhat vaguely suggested over time that Karina hasn't been as open as she could be about this case. It's like eating an Oreo cookie. You never eat an Oreo cookie from the outside. You always start by tearing that thing apart. That's the way you investigate homicides. You investigate homicides from the inside out. And the first thing he'd do... You would have to put out, essentially, a press release, a mm. public relations strategy, as it were. Gotcha. You know, we're putting everything we've done thus far behind us. We're bringing in a brand-new detective. This guy is going to be, you know, he's going to start over from scratch. He's going to be investigating everybody and everything having to do with this case. Not only that, but say in that press release, say in that media campaign, we don't believe we've gotten the truth. Just tell them flat out. Tell the world. We don't think we've gotten the truth out of everybody in this investigation. We're going to go back and re-interview everybody. Morgan says when it comes to Karina, based on what he perceives about this case. If you think she's holding back information that can lead you to finding out what happened to that little girl, then you start living on top of her in her head wherever you can live. Every time she woke up, she'd be afraid that I was going to be there. The truth. What is the truth about the murder of Faith Hedgepeth? There are so many signs her primary attacker that night in September 2012, the man whose DNA seems incriminating, was someone close or was close to the person who wanted Faith dead. Someone who knew Faith would be alone after 4.30 in the morning. Someone who knew the door was unlocked. That person may have never, to this day, come on police radar. So many someones have been tested for DNA, 
hundreds upon hundreds, and so far, nothing. Does that suggest a sudden, random attack? A stranger, possibly right in Faith and Karina's apartment complex. Someone the police never caught up with to test. But what about the personal nature of that confounding note? I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. Real emotion or staged? But why does someone leave their handwriting in a murder scene? How, after such a brutal, so-called disorganized crime, was it written to deceive? What about the argument Faith was involved in apparently a few hours before, partly recorded on a voicemail after a pocket dial? Or was it somehow recorded at the time of Faith's murder? Another sign that's led nowhere in terms of an arrest. Could one person have done this and it is his secret alone? Someone drawn to Faith Hedgepath in dangerous ways that no one really knew about. A fellow employee at the restaurant where she worked. A man amid the thousands on campus. A man among the scores at a nightclub earlier that night who followed Faith and Karina Rosario home and watched Karina leave at 4.30 in the morning. Someone who then went up to the door, found it by chance, unlocked. Does this case in the end come down to something as simple and fraught as jealousy? Jealousy can kill. It does kill. But someone so emotional, so full of rage, is still unknown? Thousands upon thousands of tips haven't led to anything. The police investigation went after the usual suspects and expanded. But where is it now? Why is it police are so sure someone else knows something? It strikes me that investigators think they know at least one of the persons involved. But that person has been so careful, so shrewd, they've never made a mistake police could hear or see or somehow discover. I would be, again, very surprised if only one person knew exactly what happened that night. I would also be surprised if this was a random act. Most times, cases come down to what you think they were at the start. Murders are rarely as complex as they may seem. After so much time on this case, I'm nearly persuaded that more than one person was involved, and one of the central figures has been examined by police at some length. But silence and a surprising amount of smarts has kept authorities at bay. In the end, it may come down to a burst of conscience that breaks this case. But sadly, conscience isn't something you can count on. The toll Faith Hedgepeth's murder has taken grows with every second, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year. Justice undone, agony unanswered. You want to have faith that the truth will show its face, and all the hurt can hurt a little less. Roland Hedgepath, a father made of both iron and a father's soft love, can sometimes barely breathe whenever silence comes around. Because it is never silent, really. His daughter fills the void. The last text he got from Faith is never far from his mind. Wednesday night, September 5th, before the Friday morning she died. 
Faith thought her father needed some support. He was struggling with something going on in his life at the time. At 10.15 p.m., I got a text from Faith. It says, love you, Daddy. And we texted back and forth until 11.18 p.m. She ended with, Daddy, everything is going to work out. You got to have faith. Her, her last words, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. You almost have to ask, how can that be? that those words were Faith's final words to her father. She used to sleep with me a lot, you know, uh, even after become, you know, being a teenager. Sometimes she had bad dreams and she'd come in there and lay down with me. And uh, she'd want me to kind of hold her, put, put my arms around her. She loved laying on you, you know, hugging you and loving you, you know. Faith is no longer there to snuggle up with her mom. For seven years since, there are endless nights when Connie Hedgepeth's mind goes here. Well, I just had the question, why? I wanted to know why. What led up to this? Uh, what made somebody so angry? Or what did she do that somebody thought that this is what had to happen to her? My question was why. I thought, of course, it would be, it would have been solved before now, but I just keep on waiting. One day it'll happen. I truly believe it will happen. This person or persons who may have been involved may hear this. What would you say to them? I don't understand how you can live with this. They have to confess what they did. Pray that she's dancing in her head every night. That she is just dancing. When they close their eyes, they see that. They see her. They see what they've done to her. And I'm praying that they cannot continue to live with that. She definitely makes her presence known every now and then. How, how do you mean? You know, even if it's just a song or just a random memory from high school, uh, whenever I dream about her, it's she's always alive. September 7th has happened, but her spirit is alive. Every single time I dream about her, her spirit is alive and she's there and I'm talking to her. Faith's high school teacher, Hassan Kingsbury, puts it the way so many do. We loved her. Everybody I know loved her here. I remember everything about the day I sat with Roland Hedgepeth in his house on a hill, across from a meadow, a few hundred yards from a cemetery. Sitting and going through all his papers on the case, we came across this. Mr. and Mrs. Roland H. Hedgepeth of Warrington announced the birth of a daughter, Faith Danielle, on September 26th at Nash General Hospital. The baby girl weighed eight pounds and was 19 and three quarters inches in length. She was 19 and three quarters years old when she died. This year, September 26th, Faith would have turned 27. And no matter how many years pass until this case is solved, Roland Hedgepeth will be talking to police, stopping by the station. 
coach and remind them that, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna always be coming by. Oh, I just live with hurt. I've just never been able to get past a hurt. And he will be fighting to find the story behind his daughter's death. He will not rest. If it's your child, I don't know how you can give up. And always in his head and his heart, the last time he heard Faith's voice. Pursuit is available on most major podcast sites. If you like it, please rate, review, and subscribe. I appreciate your support. You can also find and listen to episodes on PursuitPodcast.com. If you have information or thoughts for me on the case, in writing or via an anonymous voice mailbox, go to the contact page on the website or reach out on social media. The number for Chapel Hill Police Crime Stoppers is also on PursuitPodcast.com. There is currently a potential $40,000 reward available in the Faith Hedgepath murder investigation.